You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Alejandro Zuniga here with me, talking Michigan basketball after they took down Colorado State and Tennessee and Indianapolis and advanced to the Sweet 16, Big Ten record fifth straight Sweet 16. They will face Villanova uh, Thursday night at 7, either 7.15 or 7.29, sometime in that region. Uh, regardless, it will be down in San Antonio. So this episode, we're going we're to talk quite a bit about what we saw this weekend. We'll talk about some of the most impressive things we saw, what it means for Michigan, both in the scope of this season and as a program. Uh, we'll have a little, little fun with the ever-classic blue blood debate. Is Michigan, you know, are they getting closer to that point? Are they at that point? And then we'll take a look at Villanova and the Sweet 16 matchup. So Alejandro, I'll let you start. You saw two games down in Indy, two, uh, I guess there were some similarities in the game, two comeback victories in the second half, two very different teams they were playing, but, but regardless, two comeback victories for Michigan, uh, saw different players step up. And then, of course, Eli Brooks and Hunter Dickinson stepped up both times. What was, if there was one thing, what was the most impressive thing you saw this weekend from the Wolverines? For me, the most. Most impressive thing I saw was the resilience from a Michigan team that once again was playing shorthanded in both games in the NCAA tournament was trailing and both times managed to pull it out. And now this is something we've seen in three of the last four games, going all the way back to the Ohio State game in the regular season finale, where a few minutes before tip-off, we all learned that Hunter Dickinson isn't going to be able to play. Michigan was trailing in that game. There were times when it looked like the game would get out of hand and every single time someone came, stepped up, made a shot, kept Michigan in it. And then they made a second half push. Of course, things didn't break the right way against Indiana in the big 10 tournament, but then, then came Colorado state. Then came that first half when Michigan was trailing by 15 playing without Devonte Jones managed to come back, managed to win same sort of thing against Tennessee where you know, Devontae Jones, yes, he started. He played 12 minutes. He didn't look like himself out there. Michigan played that end of the first half when it looked like they'd never held the basketball in their lives. They just kept turning the ball over. It looked like that game would fall apart quickly. And it was Hunter Dickinson. It was Eli Brooks. It was Terrence Williams coming in, hitting a three. That resiliency, that's something... I didn't expect to see from this Michigan team at the end of the season. Maybe that's the result of the adversity that they faced. Some of it self-inflicted, of course, but the adversity that they faced all throughout this year. And that's what really stood out to me, that even when it seemed like a game could slip away against an opponent like Tennessee, that's been so good at suffocating opponents with their defense, someone stepped up. And, you know, against the Vols, it was Eli Brooks, you know, shades of Xavier Simpson. It was Hunter Dickinson who got what he wanted inside and also, you know, pick and pop was draining threes. Like we saw in that practice video of him months ago in the off season. And with that, 
just enough to, to push Michigan into the Sweet 16. Hey, you were sitting next to me in Indianapolis. Uh, what, what impressed you the most? Well, a lot of that. You know, I think, I think we hadn't seen them do a ton of second-half comebacks this season. I think Ohio State, I think, might have been the first. Uh, there, I think there might have been one more earlier in the season. But, you know, it was the first one that wasn't like Michigan should be winning this game. You know, they were actually trailing. People actually thought they were going to lose. And they came back. And then, then you see two of them this weekend. I think, I think that that says a lot. I think the most impressive thing I saw, and it'll it'll be a lot of stuff you were just mentioning, but uh, Michigan's NCAA tournament veterans really stepped up. I thought Eli Brooks and Hunter Dickinson. I mean, that's that's kind of that's how you carry a team into the Sweet Sixteen. Is the guys who have been there before play like it? I thought Hunter Dickinson made a ton of potential money this this weekend if if he wants to go pro i don't know what his situation is um because obviously it gets complicated with the name image likeness and uh, landscape i suppose but he showed that he can make threes you know, he had a couple big blocks i don't think it was his best defensive weekend uh but that's kind of he's not gonna have to face crafty guys like <laughs> small ball guys that are that are several pounds and inches smaller than him but but you know he, he had some great defensive rebounds Thought he had some great post-up buckets. Obviously, the three-pointers. Seemed like he was finishing really strong by the basket. And also showed some really good touch on, on I don't know if they technically count as mid-range looks, but even if he was a little bit further from the basket facing a double team, you know, just being able to, to kind of splash it in. I, I thought he really he, – I had a feeling he could have a chance to, to be really good this weekend just because he wasn't facing, enough, you know, Kofi Coburn or whatever seven foot big man in the big 10 who constantly gets a whistle because refs are almost premeditating those calls. You know, I, I think facing some different big men would be really beneficial to Hunter Dickinson, but he also had to perform. I mean, both teams talked about him at length in their pre game press conferences about you know, how the, how they're practicing to, to defend against him. They're probably going to double him. And for him to score, I, I think I, I, I pretty sure this is, True. I'll, I'll double check, I guess, in, in a moment. But most points scored in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament by Michigan players since Juwan Howard in 1994. So that's kind of a, a neat coincidence. But also, there's been a lot of really good players who've come through Michigan and played really well in the first two games, first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Think about a, a Trey Burke, a Mo Wagner, Derek Walton for him to have the most points and, and do so efficiently. I mean, this wasn't a situation where they were overfeeding him. You know, he had a few assists. Uh, yeah, just really productive. 21 points against Colorado State, 27 points against Tennessee. And then Eli Brooks. I, 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 I think fans might be surprised if, if we call him a star because it, it hasn't, he hasn't always had that word attached to his name. In his five years, I, you know, there's only a handful of games where he was really the star of the show, but Saturday was one of them and they needed everything he had. I mean, he scored 18 second half points, highly impressive after scoring 12 second half points against the Rams. So that's 30 second half points for Eli Brooks. And he scored uh, 17 points and then 23 points overall. So he had a pretty good first weekend, but I thought, thought, you know, he did a little bit more of the bucket chasing than what we've seen from him in the past. I'd be curious what percentage of his buckets this season have come assisted. Someone passed it to him and he said, all right, now it's time to shoot. You know, this, this was a situation where he, 
He actually had a couple isolation possessions and he actually uh, had a little drives to the basket and, and kind of creating his own shot. That's huge without Devonte Jones with Caleb Houston struggling, you know, with, with Frankie Collins and, and some of the other bench players, uh, maybe not, not having amazing games, especially against Tennessee. Frankie Collins was great against Colorado state, I should say, but Eli showing a little bit of bucket getting and, and Hunter Dickinson really looking exact. I mean, exactly like everyone thought he was capable of all season. And I don't, I don't say that to suggest that he underperformed this season, but I think the competition level in the big 10, maybe masked how good he was this season. He improved in so many ways, including adding a three point shot, but I thought he also improved, you know, working with his offhand, working on some of those, uh, those floaters by the basket. So I think you're seeing both of those two peaking at the right time, realizing the, the opportunity they have. And that's, that's very impressive to me. So the, the, the star performances would be my answer to that question. Alejandro, you've covered this team most of the season. You, you didn't necessarily join right away, but um, I'm, I'm, at, I'm curious what this Sweet 16 appearance means for your perspective of the Michigan season. Should the season be called a success now? Now, you know, it's kind of a there's there's a couple ways to look at it because of how highly they were touted before the season, uh, but also what you saw in, in November, December and about half of January. I mean, since then, they've played comfortably like an NCAA tournament team. They haven't won all the games. They haven't beaten everybody, but they also played a lot of NCAA tournament teams down the stretch. So what does what does making a sweet 16 mean in terms of either solidifying or changing or rewriting the perspective that was had on, on Michigan season. Obviously they were 11 seed and they were an 11 seed for a reason. Yeah. It, it's so hard to say because when you look back at October and November, everyone was predicting a final four, you know, the Michigan was picked to win the big 10 and that didn't happen. You know, Michigan really stumbled out of the gate. Michigan went, you know, 10 games back and forth, win loss at the end of the season. And, you know, if you'd asked me this question in, in November, as the season was starting, I would say that a sweet 16 would kind of be the bare minimum of, you know, make it out of the opening week of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, if you're, if you're not competing for a final four, then that would be a disappointment. But if we're kind of looking back at what the season has brought, given how much disappointment there was at the beginning of the season, I think there's a lot, you know, sports are meant to be fun. And this season, whether or not Michigan has met those sky high expectations has been a ton of fun. I look at the, the Michigan state game played at the Chrysler center. I look at the Purdue game played at the Chrysler center. I look at going on the road and beating Ohio state, you know, to punch your ticket into the NCAA tournament, you know, whether or not Michigan met the preseason expectations of, of competing for a big 10 title, they didn't, they fell short. And are they going to compete for a final four? You know, we'll see this weekend. So I I don't think they necessarily met the expectations at the same time. When I look at what the season has brought, it's brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. And this March run is, you know, the best example of that, because if you're a Michigan fan, or if you are, you know, following the Michigan Wolverines, this basketball program for the past decade or so, you've seen a program that when it comes to March, they are pretty much always playing their best basketball. And it seems like, you know, Michigan, as you said, was an 11 seed for a reason. They, 
they were favored against Colorado State. They were not favored against Tennessee. You know, I think we both looked at this Tennessee matchup and saw a team that was built to exploit Michigan's biggest issues. You know, Michigan is a team that doesn't get fantastic guard play. They're not a team that's especially careful with the basketball. They commit mistakes even when they're not forced into them. And we both kind of looked at this Tennessee matchup and thought, hey, that's built to exploit the absolute worst of what Michigan brings to the table on some games. And yet they came into that game and it was a blast. You know, whether or not you're rooting for Michigan, I was sitting there at Cambridge Fieldhouse having so much fun. You know, there were great, great crowds for both teams. It was loud. It was a wonderful game. The, the refs let them play. It seemed like two heavyweights just throwing punches back and forth in the second half. And Michigan came out ahead. So college basketball is about March. You know, if you are a huge college basketball fan and you follow the season all 12 months of the year, you're kind of in the 5% because 95% of the country just cares about the NCAA tournament. And when you can cap your season with a run like Michigan's doing, like Michigan and Purdue and literally no one else in the Big Ten, that's got to be partly a success, right? Because you're ending on a good note, basically no matter what. I mean, go talk to Illinois fans. Was their season a success? Getting bounced in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament for the second time in a row for like the billionth year in a row? I don't know. I don't know. But for Michigan, not necessarily meeting all the expectations, but playing their best basketball at the absolute right time five times in a row in the Sweet 16. It's impressive. I don't really know what to make of it, but it seems like it's every year. And hey, you've been covering this team a lot longer than I have. They're always playing their best basketball in March. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think John Beeline's line a few years ago when he was talking to us was uh, a success of a team is just defined by did, did you get the most that you could out of the team? You know, were they capable of more or, or not? And I, I, th- I think that's where I'm, I'm a little hesitant on this year's team being a success yet. They were capable of being a better than an 11 seed and they were probably capable of being a top 20 team. Now, if they go out and beat Villanova and they end up being perceived as a top 20 team by, by everybody, then maybe, maybe you do give them one, you know, just make it an elite eight. I know it might only seem like one more game than a sweet 16, but, but I think, I think they almost have to make up for being an 11 seed in terms of the big picture. Was it a success? Now, was it a failure? I don't think they're in the failure zone anymore. Maybe some some fans might disagree, but but I think you know you look at the history of Michigan basketball, and and the fact is we knew within three games that this Michigan team was not going to be a top five team, and probably not going to be a top ten team, but top fifteen, top twenty. Yes, I think they were always capable of that, and it's 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 the losses to Minnesota, UCF, and Seton Hall to me that are the ones that if they win those games. Michigan's probably, I mean, frankly, they're probably a six or seven seed. Uh, they probably flirt with the rankings a little bit more. They're not in that bubble, and they, instead they're trying to build, you know, a, a run together. As far as the the long term, what's working in March, I think honestly that that line from Beeline is is the keys. It's it's not about banner or bust. It's not about title or bust. It really is okay. You find out what you have in. October, November, 
you find out what you can be, and then you try to get there. And, and, you know, Michigan doesn't shy away from things like national titles. I'm not saying they're not setting these goals, but I think this team, like all the teams that have made sweet 16s genuinely took the proverbial one game at a time, 1% better every day. And, and I think that they got a lot better. I don't think this current Michigan basketball team loses those three games I mentioned to, to UCF Seton hall to Minnesota. I also don't know that they lose some of the other games that they lost. And, and I think uh, they don't get swallowed by the moment in some of those big games. And you can pin it on youth. You can pin it on, uh, you know, you didn't have enough shooting to kind of steady you. And, and some of those moments did feel like a little bit bigger. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of directions you can go with what went wrong with Michigan's season. But they did get better. They did get better. And, and they, they didn't stop getting better. I think so many teams talking to other writers who cover other teams around the country. I think so many teams kind of stop getting better in February, whether they'll admit it or not. But I think this is a team, they recruit guys who, who are, who are about this approach, but they're the kinds that, that really, when they do hotel walkthroughs, you know, right before a game in like the, in a hotel ballroom or whatever, this team is all about it. Eli Brooks is someone who voluntarily started watching film with his dad at age eight. Not because his dad forced him to, but because he was like interested in that that uh, growth mindset. You know, I think I think there's a lot. I mean, Terrence Williams, Frankie Collins, they could have packed it in months ago in terms of their own personal development. They were bench players. Uh, they were they were behind guys who really weren't going to give up their starting jobs, and they didn't pack it in. They kept progressing, kept continuing to get better, and and so you're you're seeing. Not just that the freshmen are getting a little bit older. Hunter Dickinson's getting a little bit more experience under his belt. You're just seeing a lot of players continuing to want to get better. Because the fact is the NCAA tournament is all about who genuinely wants to be there. Everyone wants to be there. Every player wants to be there. But what's going to happen? You know, Do you have a coaching staff who's going to stay up till 4 a.m.? Just making sure they have every inch of, of the scouting report solidified. And do you have players when there's a... Uh, you know, 8 a.m. film session or, or you know, they, 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 don't, they don't have a lot of time to practice stuff. So they really have to, like, embrace the film, embrace the X's and O's, embrace the scouting reports. Do you have players who are going to buy into that? And then I think the last thing is I think each of these Sweet 16 teams has had at least a couple players who were on the previous Sweet 16 team. So Eli Brooks, you know, Jace Howard said he, he was offering a blueprint in how he was stepping up his game in March. And so I think you, you're starting to see, I mean, there's a few other things that Michigan does really well that, that have produced this culture of continual success. They, they don't, they have barely any off court issues ever. You know, you look over the last decade, you can probably count on one hand, the number of even minor off court issues. Not every team can do that. Uh, you know, I think, I think the, just by the nature of Michigan's admission situation, you do end up with a lot of high IQ basketball players and then they've also, every single one of these teams that has made a Sweet 16 has had um, an NBA caliber player or two on it. I don't know if Hunter Dickinson or, or Caleb Houston or Musa Diabate, I don't know what their draft's future is. I don't know where they would be drafted. But the fact is, every single team that they've had that has made a Sweet 16, there was a key role played by someone who would eventually play in the NBA. I mean, that 2017 team that was on the bubble, won the Big Ten tournament, made the Sweet 16 I believe four of their starters have started in the NBA. 
And I think you can say pretty much the same about, about the 2018 team, the 2019 team, and then last year's team. I don't know if they'll have four NBA starters, but Franz is a starter. Isaiah Livers is playing handsomely in the NBA. Shondi Brown's gotten a cup of coffee in the league. And then obviously Hunter Dickinson was a second team All-American. So I think, I think there is good talent, but, but I think where Michigan pushes itself ahead of other comparably talented teams is that it just it never stops getting better throughout the course of the season. I think this year's team is is interesting because I think the the bubble almost helped them because I don't think they they were able to rest on their laurels. I, I think the worst spot to be in if you're in college basketball, and I think you saw a lot of Big Ten teams lose for this reason, is being in that like uh, four seed to to eight seed situation where you're probably in the tournament. You're not really worried about the bubble. You're not looking over your shoulder but you're also not contending for a top. So you don't necessarily feel day in and day out, like you're a national title contender. And I think Michigan has kind of avoided that. They, every one of these teams that's made a run has either been title contender or like ascending bubble team that, that found itself late in the season. And I think being on the bubble can hurt you. It can be a lot of pressure, it can be a lot of stress. But I think the fact is you are looking over your shoulder. <laughs> you do have to like develop an edge and you don't get to look ahead of teams. You actually have to take it one game at a time. We can talk about how they finished. They were five and five and, you know, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. But that, you know what you're doing in practice when, when you're coming off a loss, you're working really hard and, and you might win. But the fact is every single game, they had to go literally one game at a time because every game mattered. And every game was against an NCAA tournament team. All of a sudden they play a Colorado state team who, I, they they were surging, but they also they were winning. But like they also got to coast a little bit into the tournament. Tennessee, they'd been playing so well. I mean, I don't know. I I I can't say that they weren't working hard or weren't doing what they needed to do in in practice and game prep. But I do know that Michigan came into the NCAA tournament with an edge. They came in with a chip on their shoulder, uh, but they also came in having really exhausted every one percent better that they could have gotten all the way to the finish and, and made the most of it. Yeah. When I, when I think about what, what Michigan does well to, to be kind of a perennial tournament team, make a tournament run, but 23 and seven in the last decade in the NCAA tournament, that's, that's almost a third of the wins the entire big 10 has in the NCAA tournament. So that's, I think that says a lot. Uh, and, and I think the fact is they've always had good teams. They've always had good teams with no off field issues, but they also don't have players check out. They don't have coaches check out and, and they actually genuinely get better from February 15th on. I think some teams, sometimes they, they might think the hay is in the barn a little bit. Not, not at Michigan. Uh, it's, it's a cliche, the one game at a time and the 1% better every day, but, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's because Michigan really genuinely believes in it. We're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll each Weigh in on, on, on if Michigan gets to count itself as a blue blood now or, or what would happen, have to happen for that to change. And then also take a look at the Villanova matchup uh, in the Sweet 16. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So Alejandro, you, you, I'm sure, are just as well versed as I am in some of the numbers now. Longest Sweet 16 streak in Big Ten history. Uh, second longest in the country right now behind only Gonzaga. They have the most NCAA tournament wins over the last 10 years in the Big Ten, and it's, it's not even close. They have seven more than anybody else. Michigan State is second uh, with 16. They have made seven Sweet 16s in the last decade. That I don't know if that one sets any records, but that's that's I mean, really the only two years they didn't make the Sweet 16. Karis Levert was their star player and was injured uh, for the second half of the season. So you have that. Then you have the number of NBA draft picks and first round draft picks. I'll pull up those numbers in just a moment. But in your mind, thinking about they've won it since. Well, we can give it 2012. They've won three Big Ten regular season titles. They've won two Big Ten tournament titles. They have made two Final Fours. They have made four Elite Eights. They have made seven Sweet Sixteens. I don't know what counts as a blue blood. That really seems more like more of a talking head debate. But people are asking me, and I'm, I'm asking you now, is that enough? Are they, are they a blue blood program at this point? People are asking, Zach. People are asking. <laughs> uh, but no, the answer is no. Michigan is not yet a blue blood, and you want to know why? It's because when you go to the Chrysler Center and you look up at the banners, there is one national championship banner, and it is not from the 2000s. You want to be a blue blood program, you got to win a national championship. Michigan's close, and they have been close, and they have been, you know, there are a lot more banners up there than when I was a kid. You know, I started following Michigan basketball with John Beeline. The first season I started caring about Michigan basketball was when they beat UCLA, number four UCLA, and then later in the season beat Duke on their home court. Manny Harris, a bucket, and absolutely wonderful. Stormed the court. High five John Beeline. Great core memory right there. Ever since then, ever since Beeline, we all know this, they've been fantastic. They are outperforming. You know, they outperformed their talent level in the early years under John Beeline. They are now a team that not only do you expect them to be contending for Big Ten championships basically every single year, but as we just talked about, they are outperforming the league, the Big Ten, and often outperforming expectations in March. And to be a blue blood, you got to win a national championship. You don't get blue blood status by being a national runner up. You don't get blue blood status by, you know, making five consecutive sweet 16s. That's great bragging rights. That's great to, you know, to be able to turn, if you're a Michigan fan, turn to an Ohio state fan, turn to a Michigan state fan, turn to an Illinois fan and say, all right, you know, in, in your most successful years, we're still doing better. If you're a Michigan fan, you know, it's great for bragging rights, but if you want to be a blue blood, you got to win the title. You got to win the shit, but Michigan has all the right pieces, right? Not only are they close every single year, not only are they, it's not just that they're close, but it is consistent. 
Michigan is also Michigan. Michigan is that brand. Michigan is the name that everyone knows. And while it's largely been about football in Michigan athletics history, it's also been the Fab Five. And hey, guess what? It's now Juwan Howard at, at the helm. There's that member of the Fab Five. It's Chris Weber and Jalen Rose now in the crowd. And, you know, it's those names, it's those personalities, it's the success. And you got to win the title to be a blue blood. But that's kind of the last piece, I think. And, and if and when the men's basketball program reaches that, I think it's you, you transition from asking the question, is Michigan a blue blood to having the answer? What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm looking around at some other, the traditional blue bloods. UCLA has not won a national title since 1995. Uh, Kansas has not won a national title since 2008. Michigan State hasn't won one since 2000. I'm not sure Gonzaga hasn't won one, period. I, I guess I'm not sure what to make of that. You, just because I, I, think, I think you can be a blue blood without a national title. You think about football. Oklahoma hasn't won a national title since 2000. They're, I think most would have say they were a blue blood. And Georgia, I think, was in that, maybe in that category. Maybe they weren't until they won the title most recently. But they hadn't won a title in a while. I think many Michigan fans would have felt like they were blue blood. They haven't won a national title since 1997. And so I don't know that it's, it, I don't know that you need a national title. That certainly helps. I think, I think if Michigan ever raised a second national title banner, yeah, that would that would definitely give it to them. But I think the big thing that's separating Michigan from blue blood status, which by the way, you can you can you could very much convince me that it doesn't matter, right? I mean, it's they don't it's not like that you get any special privileges. It's not like you get maybe you make a little bit more money, but this is really more like do do fans feel like their program is among the top tier? By the way, they've produced 12 NBA draft picks in the last nine NBA drafts, uh, including, I believe, nine first-round draft picks. That's as good as anyone outside of Kentucky and Duke. That's as good as anyone in the country. I I think I'm going to say no, and I think the national title is a part of it. I think the other part of it is, Alejandro, you were there. We were both there for a lot of the games this season. Not, Not the atmosphere Michigan State had. Not the atmosphere. Well, mm, Indiana, I guess, in their down years, they actually don't have great atmospheres these days either. But, you know, thinking about Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, those are probably the the main four. I think anyone else might be kind of reaching. I, I, I know UConn probably thinks that they are. They've, they've won, certainly won a lot of national titles. But I think I think you have to be, like, think about, like, an Oklahoma. Football. They haven't won a national title since 2000, but they are in contention every year. They're 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 the equivalent of a one seed or a two seed. If football did a tournament like like a you know like a March Madness situation, they'd be a one seed or a two seed every year. They've won a lot of conference titles, and I think that's where Michigan maybe. I think you can p- push the NBA draft narrative. You can push the NCAA tournament victories narrative. You can push the sweet 16s and final fours, but there's really only been three seasons in the last decade, which is a decent amount, but three seasons in the last decade where everyone in the big 10 was like, yeah, Michigan, Michigan was the top team this year. Maybe, maybe it's four, 
maybe 2013, 14, I'm thinking 18, and then 21. Those are the those are the four I was thinking of. That's not uh, it's not quite enough, I think, to to overcome the lack of national titles, in my opinion. So I think I'm with you. I I, I do think Final Fours can count, though. I don't, I, you know, because I think if you really look at it, some of even the best teams in college basketball. I mean, Coach K. Gosh, you can't go five minutes without hearing a Coach K debate on on one of the ESPN channels right now. He only, ha- I mean, he only has, but he has five national titles in his entire career, and and at least a couple of them were in the '90s. You know, it's not like it's not like Duke is is destroying everybody these days. Kentucky, I think, has one national title since the '90s, and it was in 2012. But they get the blue blood. So I think I think if they had, if Michigan ever got to the point where the fans were like all in every year, no matter whether they were good or bad. Or I think if you started really cleaning up in your conference a lot more, I think Michigan's been great. I think they're, they're a top 10 program right now. And that's where I kind of wonder if the blue blood debate can start because if they're, if they've been a top 10 program over the last decade, how many blue bloods are you, are you allowing to be listed before you include Michigan? But at the same time, I think, I think uh, the, the proverbial blue blood, there's an identity part of it too. Like you, you own your conference, kind of like Michigan football. I mean, they might not win the Big Ten that often, but, but my goodness, the fans are always there. They're, they're, you know, it's it's a it's a different kind of support and interest and expectations for Michigan than other schools in their conference, other than Ohio State and and maybe Penn State. I think there either needs to be a, a perennial contender, like a little bit more perennial than what Michigan has. Or you do need to win a national title to to kind of cement yourself. I mean, you know, like think about like a Villanova. I don't know if anyone's even calling them a blue blood, and they've won two national titles before. I mean, the last handful of years. So I, I, you know, I, I just I think there is a little bit of an identity part of it, and maybe that's maybe that's wrong. I don't know. I don't really know what a blue blood <laughs> means, but uh, but that's my thought. I, I I don't think it has to be titles, but I think you do have to be one of those teams that that when you come into to a campus, everyone's intimidated or ever, you know, not everyone, not the players, but like the fans are like, Oh, this is a, this is a big game. And I think Michigan's getting close to that point, but I don't know that they're there yet in the same way, like a Kansas is or a Duke or a North Carolina or a Kentucky. I think those are, I'd probably cut the list off there at those four in terms of the blue bloods. I, I don't know if I'd let UCLA or Indiana or Michigan state, or Villanova, or UConn. I'm trying to think who else might even have a have a conversation. But Northwestern, stop it. <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about Michigan's next game because if they, I mean, you know, they they still have a season to play. We're kind of reflecting. We did a couple big picture questions um, because we do have a couple days before they play. But they are going to play in the Sweet 16. They're going to play Villanova, a school that uh, is in that perennial contention, maybe. Maybe comparable. Well, they've won two more titles than Michigan, but otherwise they're they're comparable to Michigan. It seems like every year they're good. They overachieve. They exceed expectations. I mean, Jay Wright. I just found out he's closing in on 700 wins. That was surprising to me. Your early thoughts on on this year's Wildcats team? It's it seems like a very experienced group. It it, it honestly, I mean, their style of play reminds me a lot of John Beeline's teams, which is not a surprise. I think him and Jay Wright have a lot of offensive similarities. You know, they've got a got a lead guard and uh, a fifth year guard and Colin Gillespie averaging 16 points a game. 
your early thoughts on, on Villanova and maybe some of the, the parts of this matchup that stand out to you as you look at how Michigan might stack up. I, I think that was a, a great early comparison uh, that you just made to John Beeline. Uh, I think for, uh, for Michigan fans that just watched Michigan uh, beat Colorado state, I think you, you kind of see similar, similar offensive styles, right? Um, you know, Jay Wright, Villanova, they, they run, they run that sort of four, four out or a, sometimes a five out motion offense. You know, they are not doing what Michigan does, which is trying to get the ball inside to their big guys. Uh, they have five guys who are on the smaller side and can shoot the ball. And, you know, Zach, you, you just wrote a great preview piece on, on the michiganinsider.com uh, previewing what to expect out of Villanova. And I think one of the things that that you highlighted is, is that Villanova does not shoot itself in the foot. Uh, Villanova, as you mentioned, uh, led by a, a fifth year in, in Colin uh, Gillespie. He is mistake-free. He's a great shooter. He's a veteran leader of this team. He was around in 2018 uh, when they won the national championship, as was Eli Brooks for that matter. Uh, but, you know, he is the focus for the offense because he can run those complex sets without committing errors. And Villanova as a team is one that, that you have to beat. They will not beat themselves. You know, they are, they have, I believe it's five different players, maybe six different players who average more than nine points a game. So if someone has an off night, they have plenty of talent on the court to fill that void. Uh, They are, you know, they are one of the best teams, actually, excuse me, they are the best team in the country at shooting free throws almost to a record setting rate. They do not commit turnovers. They are one of the most efficient offenses in college basketball. It's not like they're getting their offense out of transition opportunities or pounding the ball inside. Like they're generating open looks for themselves. They move the ball so well. And yeah, if the good thing for Michigan, uh, at least as I take an early look at this matchup is two things. Number one is they just faced the Rams. They just faced an offense that does similar things in terms of motioning guys around the perimeter, getting open looks from outside. So they have some familiar familiarity with that. Uh, And number two is that Michigan will have a size advantage. And we saw in the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament how Hunter Dickinson was able to take advantage against the Rams, against Colorado State. He was virtually unstoppable when he got the ball in the low block. And we've also seen this season how Musa Diabate can take advantage of that as well. You know, he he got a lot of great looks at the bucket against Tennessee. And, you know, it was sort of an off night for him. He still had a productive game, uh, but he missed a few bunnies. Uh, but we saw against Iowa, you know, when it's a more undersized team uh, in Iowa City earlier this year, when it's a more undersized team and they're focusing on Dickinson, that's where a player like Diabate can come in and, and really be dominant. And I think he's put, you know, he's taken steps forward uh, as a defender. Uh, in terms of his post moves. And this could be the sort of game for him where when you have a, a lengthier athletic guy who is improving in the post against an undersized team, I think that's where Michigan can can kind of get its bread and butter uh, through Diabate, through Dickinson inside. Uh, but on the defensive end, you know, Villanova is incredibly talented. Jay Wright's a great coach. 
he has a, a week to prepare and it's, it's going to be a fun matchup. I'm really looking forward to it. What about you? I think uh, the obvious thing is the size difference. And, and, and I think the Villanova's ability to actually switch consistently, you know, between positions, they have a lot of positional fluidity. I think, I think, I think Hunter Dickinson has to be on, you know, I, I think he has to be on both, both, both in the post-up situations, but also uh, more than eight feet from the basket, because I think him being on the court is going to dictate kind of him being on the court and being successful on offense is going to limit how comfortable Villanova can get in its offensive sets. It, it's going to limit their personnel just a little bit because they, if they can, if they have the opportunity to go small, I mean, they're going to, they're going to score like crazy on Michigan. Um, Michigan just doesn't have the defensive or the, yeah, they don't have the personnel on defense to really consistently play small. Now, maybe there's, maybe there's a lineup out there that we haven't seen a ton of this season, but, but I think, I think the big thing is, Michigan's going to have to be ready to score because I think Villanova is going to be able to score pretty comfortably. We can talk about Hunter Dickinson's great offensive games this weekend. You know, I think I think uh, against Tennessee, I think he had some legitimate defensive issues when when Tennessee uh, maybe they weren't going small per se, but I think they they were um, you know generating looks that Hunter Dickinson struggled to defend, and I think Colorado State kind of did too with all their all their big men shooting threes. And I think that's something Villanova would like to do, and they'll probably be pretty good at it. And so it's just going to matter. It's going to depend on who's going to win the matchup or who's going to buckle first in the, oh, we have to change our lineup. This isn't working. And because if Michigan's scoring, they're not going to worry about it. But if, if, if Michigan's struggling offensively, if, if guys like Musi Abate and Caleb Houston look off again, well, suddenly, you know, Michigan might have to, think differently and 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 ultimately that's going to allow Villanova to dictate the personnel in the lineup it's going to allow Villanova to to really settle in and and play their kind of offense if they have to you know they're, they're not they're an offense that can be sped up a little bit and so it's um yeah it's going to come down to I think it's going to be down to Hunter Dickinson he's got a huge size advantage again if I'm not mistaken Villanova only has one player taller than six seven and heavier than 230 pounds and and he can shoot threes, and he's a very good player. Uh, he's actually a fantastic player, in Dixon. But but at the same time, if you have a size advantage, and you have if and it's your star player, that can be advantage you as long as they're able to produce on the offensive side of the ball. You know, other thoughts in this matchup. I th- I think you know, this is going to have to be an Eli Brooks game, just again because I think he just has that experience. That's the that's the one thing I'm noticing. I don't know about you, Alejandro, but I noticed a lot in the NCAA tournament not just this year, but, but especially this year, cause I was looking out for it. A lot of teams choked. They really did. A lot of teams were just uncharacteristically bad. Uh, they, they were put out of a rhythm and they, and they really struggled. Michigan was not one of those teams. And I think Eli Brooks and Hunter Dickinson are, are frankly the main reasons why you can, I give credit to Frankie Collins and Terrence Williams, but at the same time, Michigan's best players played like their best players. And a lot of players on Michigan's team did not have their best weekends. And you saw that you saw Tennessee. They had guys who were playing uncharacteristically bad. Colorado State had guys who were playing some of their worst games of the season. They were five for fourteen on layups. And so I think, I think Eli Brooks and Hunter Dickinson both being on. I know that sounds like really surface level, but like if they're making their shots, Michigan's going to be able to hang around. But if they're off, I don't know that we've seen enough from from Michigan's the rest of Michigan's team in the postseason so far to say. 
yeah, Michigan will be fine. Someone else will step up. That's that's to me. That's the difference between this year's team and the 2018 team, uh, and and just that like that 2018 team. If a player was struggling, someone else was going to step up. They had like six or seven guys who could feasibly step up. Think about Jordan Poole came off the bench and stepped up in the, in the round of 32. So I think it's going to be tough sledding. I, I I don't I don't know that I've done enough reading or. or researching to do a prediction just yet but um i think villanova is is peaking at the right time like tennessee has an offense similar to colorado state but they also have the perennial contender experience uh you know they have players on their team who have won a national title and maybe they weren't the key players on that team and i don't think this team is quite as nba loaded as that that championship team in 2018 was but i do think they have they have a coach who, who knows how to win in March. They have a roster that knows how to win in March. Anyways, for Alejandro Zuniga, I'm Zach Shaw. Be sure to check out all of our stories, tons of stories from this weekend, and obviously there'll be a ton coming this week from San Antonio over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.